Let's open our Bibles to Romans 5. Romans 5, if you have a prayer slip or visitor slip, if you'd pass those to the, the aisle, we'll collect those and pledge to pray for you this week. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Many are looking for peace in their life and are spending a lot of money to find it. I just Googled this week, uh, what do you do for peace? And the answers were troubling and superficial. Uh, Don't worry about things you can't control. That'll give you peace until you take a flight. (laughs) Take time to appreciate nature until there's a hurricane. Do your best to become just like you. What you need is a nice long cruise or vacation. Eat according to your body's requirements. That'll give you peace. Make sure you keep good promises to yourself, which we invariably break and violate regularly. People are looking for peace and hope and love in all the wrong places. Early in my Christian life, I I read about a couple who was enjoying a a drive uh, on Valentine's Day weekend in a wooded area near Bell Chase, Louisiana. Something white shimmering in the trees caught their eyes. Their investigation led them to a dead teenager hanging from a limb. A white bed sheet knotted tightly around his neck. A farewell note laced with despair was near the trunk of the tree. It addressed simply to mom and dad. I never did develop into a real person, and I cannot tolerate the false and empty existence I have created. What frustrated me most in the last year was that I had built no ties to family or friend. There was nothing of lasting worth and value. I'm a bomb of frustration and should never marry and have children. It's safest to diffuse the bomb now. Simply cremate me as John Doe. We are a rattled, stressed, rebellious, and hopeless humanity. That's been our journey so far in Romans. And apart from the work of God's grace, we would continue in that misery. What, ha- what isn't expressed in hopeless ultimate rejection is on the other side communicated this way. Look what I can do. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my soul. And many meander through life from one thrill venture to another, never finding any type of peace or any type of purpose. I read years ago in Philip Ryken's, one of his commentaries, uh, a phrase I often use at funerals, quite frankly. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted, the colorful leaves and the cool, dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted, the beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted, the warmth and the blossom of nature. I was a child, and it was adulthood I wanted, the freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted, to be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was, <laughs> it was 20 I wanted, the youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted, 
the presence of mind without limitations. My life is over and I never got what I wanted. What I love when we come to a book like Romans and we work through it systematically is we see what God has done that is a sure foundation that points us to Jesus Christ. What brings you peace? We've been talking in recent weeks about the life of faith. That is the message and theme of Romans 4, where Abraham was front and center and we considered his life and so many uncertainties and he was going not knowing and he was resting in God's promises, looking for a city that God would prepare, not in this world, but in the one to come. And this faith is lived out in, through a, a saving relationship with Christ. We're not saved by grace through faith in Christ to, to make it on our own. We're called to walk with God. And that without faith, it's impossible to please God. And so, he states here in verse 5, the Apostle Paul does, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does it mean to have peace? I was reminded of a phrase in the book of Job, it's in chapter 5, verse 7, that really describes humanity well. Man is born in trouble as sparks fly upward. Isn't that the truth? Humanity seems to be in a constant pursuit of peace in a troubled world. But how is that found? More vacations, a new hairdo, some clothing, moving to a new city. None of that lasts. We know it doesn't. How do we have real peace? There's simplicity found in our text here this morning that I want to be anchored in our minds. In fact, I just have limited this morning's message to one verse. That we have a positional peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ that allows us to experience His peace no matter what may come. In contrast with the fleeting pursuits of peace that drives the lives of many, the Apostle Paul speaks of a peace that comes from being justified by faith in the living God. To trust in Jesus means that we are declared legally righteous in the courtroom of heaven. It's a one-time declaration when we believe, when we repent of our sins and believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we are justified by faith in Him. And that this peace of God comes through the Lord Jesus and it means that our war with God is over. Indeed, Christ has made peace through the blood of His cross. Through His redeeming work, we've been reconciled with God and no longer are regarded as enemies. So let's get into the text, shall we? I want to kind of present my thoughts in three divisions this morning. The first would be peace, spoken of here in Romans 5.1, peace is not a feeling, it's a position. It's a standing with God. The description here is one of warfare. When he says we have peace, he's describing peace that comes from two warring factions. And the warring factions are our sinful rebellion against God and His ways and His word and His commands and the living God who is holy and right and just and is worthy of our worship and praise. Notice here in verse, in this verse, therefore. Now, 
I know it's really hard to get excited over a conjunction, (laughs) but I really do get excited over conjunctions, especially in the book of Hebrews. In fact, um, my recent book, Life on the Altar, was based on Romans 12, 1 and 2, therefore, in light of all that God has done, which I'll mention in just a moment. But therefore, so what's that doing? When you read your Bible and you come to a therefore, what, what is that a call to do? To think back deeply about what you've just read. Because Paul's building a case here. He's wanting you to see this truth and to embrace it and hide it in your heart. Therefore, in light of what God has done, and that we are justified by faith and faith alone, not by works of righteousness which we have done, we are justified by faith. Therefore, because we are justified by faith, we are no longer enemies of God, but we have been received to His table, His table of eternal fellowship. Notice with me, if you would, just maybe turn a page or two, to um, Romans 8. We see another therefore. And I find after these transitions, Paul is holding up incredible promises. Here is chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. We have peace with God. We will never be condemned. That is wonderful news. You rest in Christ, you'll never be condemned. He bore that condemnation for you, which is what Paul is saying in the gospel. And then chapter 12, in light of all these mercies of God, he says in chapter 12, verse 1, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, all the ways God has shown his mercy to us, present yourself to him as a living sacrifice. Much can be made of a conjunction. And here we're talking this morning about peace, and it's not a feeling. We're going to get to that in just a moment, because that is the, the natural application of this peace. But this, this is a picture of warfare. By faith in Christ, I am not at war with God, nor his enemy. New Testament scholar Thomas Schreiner said that the first result of justification is peace. In the Old Testament, peace is the gift of the end time when God fulfills His covenant promises to His people. In fact, in Isaiah 9, it says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon His shoulders. He shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Prince of Peace, Mighty God, Everlasting Father. This peace, Hebrew is shalom, describes in a comprehensive way God's goodness to his people. Maybe you remember the, Aaron, uh, the, the blessing of Aaron in number six. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord give, you, give peace to you. This was a blessing of the priests. And now this peace is available both to Jews and Gentiles because of what Christ has accomplished. And so we need, this, we need the new birth We need the Spirit of God to do what only God can do in us. Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. We need the mercies of God found in Jesus Christ. We need a washing that our status as an enemy would be transformed into an adopted child. And that is only through faith in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 
Charles Swindoll mentions this graphic picture. Picture a transient person rummaging through a trash bin for a piece of pizza. Then stepping into a sterile operating room to perform surgery. It's unthinkable. He's grossly unclean, grossly unskilled, grossly inadequate. Yet that's what it would be like and even worse for us to step into heaven in our sin-stained condition. What we need is a cleansing, a transformation, a new birth. We need to be reconciled to God. We need his promises of redemption applied to our life in Christ Jesus. So peace is not an internal tranquility. We'll get to that later in the message. This is a position that by faith in Jesus Christ, I'm no longer an enemy of God. He's not against me. He's for me. If God is for us, who can be against us? No one. Notice with me, secondly, peace means our war with God is over. Let me expand on that a bit. Peace means that our war with God is over. We need to distinguish peace with God and contrast it with peace of God. Peace of God is the promise God gives to His children. Peace with God is what comes to us through salvation. In fact, maybe you're wondering, enemies of God, that's strong language. I mean, aren't we all God's children? And the answer to that is no. In a biblical sense, in a covenantal sense, we're only His children by faith in Jesus Christ, Romans 3 tells us. And so we distinguish the peace with God as a position before God by faith in Christ and the peace of God coming to His children through that relationship. Notice with me in Romans 5, verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. That's how Paul describes salvation. While we were enemies... Rebels, lawbreakers, not law keepers. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, Donald Gray Barnhouse, in his classic commentary on Romans, wrote, man is incurably addicted to doing something for his own salvation. And therefore, it's most difficult for him to accept the, the doctrine of pure grace. You mean I... I can't pay for it? No. You mean I don't deserve it? All my hard work hasn't earned me some favor with God? Not a bit. All your hard, hard work is but filthy rags before him. That's how he counts it. In fact, if he considered your good works, you might have a point of boasting. But you have none. We come to him destitute. Broken. In fact, the whole outline of Romans 1 through 3 and why I belabored it such last year was because we don't, we, we don't think we're enemies. We don't think we're at odds with Him. And so, looking at Romans 1, I would remind us of this spiral downward as it begins in verse 18. For the wrath of God has been revealed against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And then he continues by suppressing the truth. We're not, a, we're not a humanity longing for the truth, seeking for the truth. We're not. We're doing our own thing 
wanting to do our own way and rejecting the truth of God. And he describes this downward spiral as suppressing the truth and embracing idolatry and how exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal men and animals and creeping things. And that God gave them over to their lusts and how that affects sexuality because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. And God gave them up to dis honorable passions and then he summarizes this chapter in this way with a caustic list of behavior covetousness evil malice envy murder strife deceit maliciousness gossip slanderers haters of God hateful haughty boastful inventors of evil disobedient to parents you read that for very long it's like man you want to hold up a shield But that's the point. That's why we're called enemies before God. You can't read this and say, well, you know, I may be without cry. I seek God in my own way, and He's going to like me because of my designer religion. This is describing all of humanity, even the religious. Look with me in chapter 3, verse 10. There's none righteous, no not one. None righteous? Not in the human race. There was one who was born righteous, who was the only one qualified to be our all-sufficient Savior. But with regard to all of us, there's none righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one gets it. You cannot understand the salvation of God, the depravity of man, by your own human pursuits. No one seeks for God. Oh, we're religious, but we seek Him in our own way. And oftentimes in ignorance, apart from Christ, all have turned aside. They've become worthless. Their throat is an open grave and their feet are swift to shed blood. There's no fear of God, verse 18 says, before their eyes. What a scathing assessment of the human race. We're at war with Him, not at peace with Him. I'm reminded of Paul Washer's description that I often mention here, and that is uh, his description of mankind's rebellion. You know, Isaiah 40 says that God knows the stars. He knows them all by name, and he sets them in their place, and he says to this star in this massive universe, which was created to show the immensity of God, he says to this planet, this star, you go here, and you serve this purpose. And what do the stars and the planets do? Exactly what he instructs them to do. And then he says to us, come and follow me. Obey me. Listen to me. Come to me. Surrender to me. And we curl our lip and say, no. I'm not coming. I've got it figured out. Thank you. I'm going to follow the path of Frank Sinatra who said, I'm going to do it my way, not yours. And often that's covered up by genteel personalities and passive 
you know, dispositions. You know, some of the most rebellious people I've ever met in ministry are passive and introverted. And it covers it. <laughs> Others are boisterous and loud, and you say, you know, he's really, he's a jerk. <laughs> but he's just as much in rebellion as, as the passive Genteel woman who rages in her heart, I will not obey God. I remember talking to a woman when I pastored in Mississippi, and she said, oh, I could never be baptized. Think of what it would do to my hair. That's the least of your worries, ma'am. <laughs> Romans 3, we are justified by His grace as a gift, friends. We are justified as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ. And so our, our peace, having peace with God, he's saying, the war is over. Christ has made peace with sinners by the blood of his cross. And those who receive Jesus Christ freely are received into the forever family of God, saved to sin no more. There's a great assurance and a great security in Christ that I'm wanting us to see in Romans as we progress onward. Now, now let me kind of bring this into application. Okay, the war's over. I'm a believer now. Chapter 6, he'll talk about struggling with the flesh and overcoming sin, which will be a lifelong journey in our sanctification. Paul will express some autobiographical thoughts uh, concerning his own struggle with with his, with his sin, how can I do the, the thing I need to do, I don't do. The, the thing I'm commanded to do, I resist. The thing that I shouldn't do, lo and behold, that's what I do. Oh, wretched man that I am, what hope do we have? All of us know what that feels like. And Paul declares what every fellow struggler should declare. Praise be to God for the Lord Jesus Christ. No condemnation in him. But let's make some application here. Okay, the war is over with God. What does it mean to have peace in a world that's raging? That's groping for answers. It's looking for peace. It begins with a personal relationship with Christ. But it's from that position of peace with God we, we have available a place of quiet rest. Jesus said to his disciples, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. John 16, 33. And so this peace that comes even when things are raging flows from this relationship with Christ. I, I think of several verses. I want to share them with you. Uh, Isaiah 26, 3 is the first one. Isaiah 26.3, and in this, um, in this section, Isaiah has just given a list of judgments against the nations in verses 13 through 23. And uh, in verses 24 through 27, he speaks of God's um, victory and his, uh, and for his people over their enemies. And the emphasis um, in this chapter uh, really fell on those who rebelled against God and his plans and purposes. So tuck, 
Tucked in here, God is saying to his covenant people this message. Look at verse 3, Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him, that is God keeps him, in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. So as a covenant believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, having received the new covenant in Christ, being saved by grace, how do you and I experience perfect peace? It's not different by keeping our mind stayed on the Lord because He trusts in you. You keep Him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because He trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. Not only on March 6, 2022. Trust in Him forever. From age to age, He's the same. Now, to the New Testament, to the book of Philippians, Paul, writing out of a horrible circumstances, maybe you didn't know the background of this, but he was in a Mamertine prison, writing Philippians. This is one of the prison letters, there are four of them in the New Testament, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. And he says more about joy in this letter from a stinking prison cell. It's really quite a message. And he loved this congregation and had a great relationship with this congregation. And he begins to talk to them about God's provision and God's peace. He says in verse 6, do not be anxious for anything. I remember a few years ago we made a big deal out of this being the most searched for verse on the YouTube app. And rightly so. This is a great promise to the believer in Jesus Christ. Do not be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And what flows from that? And the peace of God that surpasses all comprehension will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. So there is a peace for the turmoil of this world. We showed a clip in our connect group at the beginning of our prayer time of, of some Ukrainian believers in a subway as Russia in, in, was invading their country and they're singing praises to their God. What would we do under the circumstances? I pray that we would be anxious for nothing and that we would trust God and that his peace would come to our hearts. And my, you, can't, you can't buy that. You can't buy this kind. People are trying to buy peace. You can't buy this peace. This is God's favor. This is God's grace. This is God surrounding you and holding you and embracing you and leading you and guiding you and protecting you. Nobody will ever love you as much as Jesus Christ. I've often heard people say, well, religion, religion is a crutch. I, I, you know, I don't think a crutch is um, a bad word picture when you're crippled. And actually, the analogy's not strong enough. We're dead. We need a resuscitation. Our spiritual condition, apart from Jesus Christ, we're not merely broken. We're not merely spiritually asleep. We're dead in our trespasses and sins. And we need the Christ who stood before Lazarus' Lazarus's tomb and said, Lazarus, come forth to come before us and to call us forth to follow him. 
which we hear every time we hear the Word of God, every time the Gospel is presented. Jesus said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I always think of my conversion. How many times you've heard me quote Matthew eleven twenty-eight through 30 in our home is a picture right when you enter the door of a park bench, which just reminds me, a friend gave that to us, reminds me of my conversion because it was on a park bench. I, I remember the first inkling of crying out to God, I need rest. Charles Spurgeon spoke of the power of the gospel. I do not come into this pulpit, picture portly Spurgeon entering his pulpit. I do not come into this pulpit hoping that perhaps somebody will of his own free will return to Christ, not after reading Romans 1 through 3. My hope lies in another quarter. I hope that my master will lay hold of some of them and say, you are mine and you shall be mine. I claim you for myself. My hope arises from the freeness of grace, not from the freedom of the will, whatever that means. Being a Christian doesn't mean freedom from pain. doesn't mean freedom from loss. For those who question, for those who question Jesus, Jesus said, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word and believes on him who sent me has eternal life and he has crossed from death to life. You listen to Jesus Christ, he'll lead you in the right way. Jesus said, everyone who asks receives and he who seeks shall find and the one who knocks, it shall be opened to him. And I fear that maybe many here in this room have wars in their heart, wars in their family, wars in their life, wars in their marriage. Jesus Christ can bring, bring peace to all of those. So many people looking for peace. It's found only in one place, and that's at the foot of the cross. Call me narrow-minded. Call me stubborn. I, that's okay, because that's what he said. And we will struggle and strive until we release, to him, release our hearts to him, surrender to him. I was reminded of Augustine in the 4th century who said in his favorite quote, one of his famous quotes from the Confessions, you made us for yourself and our hearts find no peace until they rest in you. That'd be a great place to end, wouldn't it? We'll find no rest until we find our peace in him. I've written in the margin of my Bible in um, Romans 5, just this simple statement, Romans 5 verse 1, I have peace with God through Jesus Christ. I have hope that is certain in his promises. I am inundated with God's love through Christ. There couldn't be a greater place to be. It's where the warfare is over and all things become become new. What a wonderful gift. Would you receive that this morning? Would you receive the gift of eternal life this morning? Would you call on the name of the Lord this day? Could I say something that maybe would be 
a bit confrontational. We read in Philippians 4, be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication. Talk to God about it. Be anxious for nothing. Fear not, Doug said 365 times. Fear not. Could I just say to you very plainly that if you're without Jesus Christ, you have every reason to be anxious. If you're without Jesus Christ, you have every reason to be in turmoil. The point of the wedge in the gospel is that you find relief in what Christ has done. That's where the peace is. And until you know Him, it's unattainable. Oh yeah, there may be some reprieves in this world. We, we know people who seem to be riding the crest of a wave of popularity and success in this world. We're warned, love not the world. Neither the things in the world. Everything's in the world is passing away. But he who does the will of the Father abides forever. Come to Christ. If you're a believer in him and you're struggling with the circumstances of your life, May the application of the peace of God come to you today as you surrender your burdens to Him and walk by faith. Would you bow with me in prayer? When we gather for worship, we come to hear the Word of God preached to us. We are called to obey Him. And if you are dealing with issues in your life, whether it is salvation or personal burdens, issues of obedience and surrender. We welcome the opportunity to pray with you, to assist you in any way that we can. But this closing moment with this responding in faith song with, offers a great declaration, a great prayer. I need you. Lord, every hour I need you. Father, we pray in these closing moments that our hearts would be yielded to you and that your peace would come in salvation and in application of what it means to be your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand together as we sing. If there are needs on your heart, may we respond in obedience to Christ. <laughs>